The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. One of the tools is, we use the French because that's where we live, but face your mesure. How could you add something today into your life that would make your life more custom to your specifications? Hey, everyone. From LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Nathan and Susanna Furr are the co-authors of The Upside of Uncertainty. They're this American couple currently living in Paris where Nathan teaches innovation and strategy at INSEAD, and Susanna is a designer and an art historian focused on the Dutch Baroque period. I had no idea that was a thing. And Nathan is an expert in entrepreneurship and innovation. So he literally studies and teaches people who experience high levels of uncertainty every day. Their book offers a myriad of tools that can help any of us get through the fog that uncertainty puts us in. You'll hear more in our conversation, but it's not pretending all is well or ignoring that you feel uncertain. There is a balance between paying attention to your uncertainty and letting it go, which I found really happens when you're not focused on the past or on the future too intently. You're just right here, right now. So my eyes got pretty big when I saw the specificity of Susanna's background. I thought she could bring a really fresh perspective to the uncertainty so many of us are feeling and some of those answers that we feel kind of burnt out on that are all too common. As she explained the French phrase, fait tu mesure, that was confirmed. And it means made to measure. And in English, it gets lost because it's custom. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, custom cabinets are a custom dress. And I think so many people don't realize that they can have a custom life, that they mm-hmm. don't have to follow anyone else's rules. So here's where I'm I'm curious. You know, your your book is chock full of so many tools, so much information. If we were to just start with where we are today, it's been a rocky last two and a half years for all of us. Tell me about this book about uncertainty and how it ties into what we're all experiencing right now. Yeah, well, the project began a decade ago before this uncertainty we felt because one of the things is that if you look at the patterns around uncertainty, there's very clear evidence that uncertainty has been increasing for a long time. So, for example, there's the World Uncertainty Index that uh, some economists at Stanford and the IMF put together, and it measures just political and economic uncertainty alone. And that has been on a steady rise for several decades. And so this dilemma of uncertainty, there's many factors that create it that are the reason for why there's more of it today. But I think it's just come to a head where we're all very keenly aware of this uncertainty in our lives. And and this core idea that we've been taught many things in life, but very few of us have been taught well how to deal with uncertainty. Mm-hmm. I feel like our book is helpful because it has such a framework of like, for even those moments of like, oh my gosh, I don't even know what to do right now. How do I go forward 
this second when I feel totally bereft, totally in despair, totally in grief. And I think the reframe with grief is different from like fear or shame or like, shoot, I just messed up. I mean, with Mm -hmm. grief, we have to feel it. Mm -hmm. I think when it's this kind of uncertainty where there's so much trauma, we need to honor the emotional hygiene um, piece that like we are feeling crappy, sad, scared, um, that kind of stuff. What, one thing I, I'll add about like kind of the the growth or the story of this book is that it really started from a place of, I'd been doing all these interviews with really well-known innovators. And I, I noticed that, oh my gosh, to do anything new, they have to face uncertainty. So I was really curious about that because I struggle with that. When the pandemic hit, I was like really let's say blindsided by this very obvious fact, which is it's not just the uncertainty we choose when we say want to go do something new. Uncertainty happens to us all the time. And to be honest with you, it was really, really hard on me. Um, Mm -hmm. I uh, was very anxious. A lot of what my income comes from keynotes and speeches, all of which immediately disappeared. There was questions about would the university continue? Uh, We had just bought an apartment. So I was freaking out because we had apartment and tuition and all these things. And I was staying up really late and waking up really early because I was so anxious. And Susanna said something one day that was really impactful. She said, if you can't apply these tools to help yourself, you don't get to write this book. Wow. And she was absolutely right. And I remember that one morning waking up with my mind just hot with anxiety and going downstairs and worrying about, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to lose the house? All that kind of stuff. And thinking about these tools and, and one of these, one of the tools was around how you, how you think about rather than thinking about what you've lost or what you could lose, thinking about what do you still have? And it was a really important moment for me to like have some real skin in the game around these ideas. I mean, we've we'd had it earlier in our, you know, that's part of our story and how we've learned and applied these tools, but that was like a very specific moment where I had to apply it and it and it helped. I'm curious, I mean, you know, you all start the book saying we're wired to look at or to fear the downsides of uncertainty. Susanna, can you talk a little bit about that and and like why are we wired to fear the downside of uncertainty? Yeah, I think that it definitely goes back to that primitive brain that where we are meant to not be around things that we haven't experienced before. So anything that presents itself as new, that's a survival mechanism. I think also we've all had experiences in our past. I know for myself, I have so much fear from being molested in a store as a little girl. And that changed how I parented my kids from like, and and how I grew up. I thought every time someone was late, they were endangered. I thought this world is full of total freaks and weirdos and psychos. And so that also, because that something bad did happen to me. And so I've carried that forward. So for whatever reason, whether we've had a, a, an extra trauma or not, we come into this world with just so much conditioning to be afraid of anything new. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't really need to worry about those survival things most day to day of like, oh, if I eat that plant, I'll die. Mm-hmm. We are more in this realm of, oh my gosh, if I can take that risk, I might love that so much more. But it feels, it registers as I might lose everything. I might not like it and be endangered. I might look dumb. So, well, it made sense. Like, you know, 
over a couple hundred thousand years of evolution where you were in an environment that was extremely stable and anything new was more likely a threat than something good. But but our world has fundamentally changed. I mean, we human beings have changed it through technology, through innovation, so that we out now live in an environment that is actually rapidly changing. And so this kind of evolutionary wiring really works against us because we're wired to fear it when in fact, there's so much possibility and the fear of the uncertainty is really what's holding us back from that possibility. Well, and how would you define uncertainty exactly? Like, how do I know when I'm feeling uncertain? (laughs) It's a good question. I mean, maybe I'll, you know, how do you know? I mean, don't Mm -hmm. ask an academic. You'll so. Because we, we, we think about these things. We think about the difference between complexity, between risk, and between uncertainty. And and complexity, just to be clear, is where you have many variables and many connections between those variables. And so the idea is if you change one variable, it could like ripple through all these connections. So it does create uncertainty, but that complexity in and of itself is not uncertainty. And risk is a little different than uncertainty. We use those words interchangeably, but the way, you know, nerdy academics and economists think about it is is risk is a little bit more like rolling dice. You know the variables, you know the probability distribution, you just don't know the outcome till you roll those dice. But uncertainty, uncertainty is where we don't know the variables. We maybe don't know how it's, we have no idea how it's going to work out. We maybe don't even know how to think about the situation because it's new or there's not enough information. And so that's, that's the situation, actually, I believe we face most often in life. I mean, mm-hmm. think about if you're going to move to a new city or take a new job or start a new relationship, all of that is deeply uncertain. And to me, the most important message uh, is that we only get to new possibilities by first going through that uncertainty. You know, I, I study these big innovators and, and they all had to go through uncertainty to do that something new. And that same is totally true of all of our own lives. I mean, if you think of mm-hmm. something you're proud of that you've done, like, you know, then I would say there was like a huge dose of uncertainty at the beginning before you knew how it was going to work out. Mm-hmm. Are any of us wired to be more uncertain than others? I'm curious about like the connection between being anxious and being uncertain. And then I'm also curious, the thing that came up for me is like, are there people who are, you talk about innovators, right? And so if there's an innovator who is totally okay with going into uncertainty, is that innovator then also likely to be the same in other areas of their life? Or is it likely that you have an area where you are really good at managing uncertainty and then other areas where you're like, I am terrible at this. So very simply, I mean, this was, a again, we, we learned these lessons along the way, but I, so we were at Stanford. Susanna had just started her clothing line, so it wasn't really producing any income. We had four kids. We were living on campus. We were living on student loans. It was a stressful time. But, you know, in Silicon Valley, the heroes are not the professors. It's the entrepreneurs. And so I was really beating myself up saying, you know, if I had any courage, I'd go be an entrepreneur. And I remember this lunch, my mentor, Tina Selig, invited me to join her at. And at lunch, I just had such a heavy heart. I finally like kind of unburdened myself and said, Tina, you know what? If I had any courage, I'd go be an entrepreneur, but I'm not a risk taker. And, and Tina looked at me kind of funny and said, what do you mean you're not a risk taker? I said, well, yeah, I just don't have the courage to quit this PhD program and go be an entrepreneur. And she just said, 
do you really think there's only one kind of risk? And I was like, well, what do you mean, Tina? And she said, well, in my view, there's financial risk, there's social risk, there's emotional risk, there's on and on. And, and yeah, so right now in your life, you're not somebody who's very comfortable with financial risk. Well, I'm grateful. You've got four kids who depend on you. That makes sense. But you do seem like someone who's willing to take an intellectual risk or a social risk. And at that moment, it, like the light bulb went on that I had actually made a very good career choice because I could deal with some of my financial risk anxieties, but I could take other kinds of risks. And I think the, the core idea here is we can prepare for uncertainty by understanding our natural risk aversions and affinities. And, and we can therefore take action in a way that, that doesn't create as much anxiety. And I think the big questions to ask yourself are number one, where do I have some risk affinities and am I playing to my strengths? Number two, where do I have some risk aversions and is there a way that I can set up my life so that doesn't stop me from doing the things I care about? Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite interviews was with uh, David Hanmar Hansen. We interviewed him and he was very clear. He's like, I hate financial risk. Now, this is an entrepreneur who has created eight startups. So how does somebody who hates financial risk create eight startups and big ones like Basecamp and Ruby on Rails? Well, he's set up his life so that he has always something that's producing some income and he works on the next startup on the side. And so that's what I mean by knowing who you are. And, and then I guess the third point is you can do things to increase your risk affinities. So uh, one of our interviewees, uh, Pete Kolowai was an Amazon executive. He led Sonos expansion in Europe. He kind of been on the corporate track for a long time. And he talked about how when he finally jumped into a startup, he, he, he was like, how do I increase my courage to do new things? And he'd always been really afraid of like physical confrontation. So he mm -hmm. decided to take a kickboxing class, which is really like an intense physical confrontation sport. But he said it was so great because it was fun. It increase my kind of risk tolerance, not just in the physical risk domain, but in other areas as well. Mm -hmm. So this isn't just a, uh, I know we're kind of using uncertainty and risk similarly here in the same, they're like cousins, it sounds like, but it's not that we're stuck in one place. It's that we can actually move ourselves up and down kind of our, along the spectrum to be able to build the skills to manage uncertainty and risk. Absolutely. I think we spend a lot of time beating ourselves up saying, oh, I'm not this or I'm not that or assuming we're not this or that. And, and I think it's better to say, you know, under what conditions could mm -hmm. I set it up so that I don't have to feel so afraid? You know, like, you know, for example, in my field, a lot of times there's an opportunity to go abroad. Well, it's a very terrifying decision if you think about it as, am I going to move abroad for the rest of my life? Holy smokes, what a big decision. But if you say, well, I'm going to move abroad for two years or six months and see how it goes, well, that's, that's a much more tolerable risk. I'm curious for you all to just share like what this four pillar kind of framework for how we work through uncertainty, what does that look like in you know, a few sentences if we're trying to you know, put it into practice, let's say, just living our lives day to day? So the reframe is the is the first crucial pillar. Like you've really got to just be able to say, whoa, there are two sides 
of a coin, one is uncertainty, but it's how you get to possibility. And it's like a light switch effect. So we always do this for each other. We even just say, whoa, reframe. And it's just, oh my gosh, okay, this sucks. I do not like what's happening, but what could happen if I stay in the ring, if I, if I keep going, if I don't get afraid or I get afraid, but it doesn't stop me. So I would say that's the reframe. The second phase, although we do see how you kind of have to jump around depending, like that's why I was saying earlier Mm. for right now, I think sustain is what we all need. But priming is our second, it's the left-hand side. So if you're looking down, so it's like a red cross is Mm -hmm. the international symbol for aid. So the left side is priming. Priming is about preparation, but we like the energy of prime because like you prime a, a wall before you paint, it's you're preparing something for what's coming next. So you kind of put in this effort so that it can kind of hum along and get going when you are going. And that's the riskometer is in that priming. So it's kind of knowing yourself, doing some other preparatory fact finding or research or just basically anything that's getting you ready for like when you're really going to charge ahead. And then do you want to tell the other two? Yeah. So uh, again, so the forearms, first reframe, uh, second is to prepare. Third is to do. And to be honest, the best way to resolve uncertainty is to take action. But there are better ways to take action under uncertainty in terms of leading to positive outcomes. So for example, breaking the problem down into small incremental steps or engaging with the problem according to our values rather than some kind of goal that we've made up. So there's Mm -hmm. a whole list of tools. Many of these actually come from the research in the field of entrepreneurship and innovation about how innovators operate. And then the fourth thing to do under uncertainty is to acknowledge that it, it does create anxiety and it's inevitable that things will go different than you expected. And how do you sustain yourself through those emotions and those setbacks? Before we head to break, Where could you use this four-part process right now? Let me give you the four arms again. Reframe uncertainty from a source of loss to a source of gain. Prime by preparing for it, by doing things that will set you up for action. Take action through small steps. And finally, sustain yourself when things go differently than planned. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm DC Marshall. Hi, I'm Mita Malik. We are the co-host of the Brown Table Talk podcast, where we discuss how to help women of color thrive in their workplaces. And we invite allies to join us to help women of color win at work. We have a seat waiting for you. Subscribe to Brown Table Talk wherever you enjoy podcasts. And we're back with Nathan and Susanna Furr on uncertainty and which tool is best for working through it right now. Susanna, why did you say you think we need sustain right now? I think that the pitch of the stress is just really, really high. Mm -hmm. And 
we have reframe and sustain. We kind of call it the north-south axis because a lot of the sustain tools are actually very similar to the reframe. That's kind of a cognitive thinking thing where you're saying, you know what, it's going to be okay. So it's like that soothing kind of reinforcing, telling yourself, whoa, this is intense, but we have survived. We'll keep going. We can do this. Mm -hmm. But sustain is fun because we actually ended up narrowing it into three parts. And the three parts are so crucial. And we decided to do it that way so that people could remember when they're in one of those sustain needing times. The first one is emotional hygiene, being aware of the feelings and the emotions that you're having, whether that's with a life coach or with a partner or friend, but talking, being aware of like, this is really happening and I don't feel good about this. And, and treating yourself well, by the way, because, you know, we know physical hygiene is good for us. We've accepted that. That wasn't always true. It was a 20th century invention. I think only recently are people really acknowledging emotional hygiene. But the mm -hmm. real dilemma is we tend to beat ourselves up when it comes to uncertainty. So it goes different than we expected. And we say, oh, I'm so dumb. Why didn't I know that? Why did I do this in the first place? And so what Susanna was saying around sustaining is really about you know, taking care of yourself and being kind to yourself when things go different than expected. And then, so we've got that emotional hygiene thing, which I think is the first step. Reality check is great because it is that moment where you stop and go, okay, wait a second, what's really going on here? It's really looking at the facts because often it's this looming, scary thing that we, that's worse than the reality. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of tools under that umbrella, but reality check can be like Nathan's story where he goes downstairs and is like, even if I lost this, I would be okay. And there would be beauty. There would be people that I love and that love me. So that's a reality check thing. Worst case scenario is, a, is one of those tools under reality check. The last bucket under the sustain is fun because it's called magic. Mm -hmm. And we worried, can we call it that? But it's those glorious, mysterious, serendipitous things that happen to us that show us that this world, this universe has beauty, synchronicity waiting in store. I get goosebumps just thinking about it because I know it will come for people, for everyone, regardless of anything. And we we really believe that it's something that when you're aware and looking for those magical moments that you're more likely to find them. Yeah. So magic, emotional hygiene, and reality check are the things that kind of can nurture you back into this place where you can kind of get back up on the horse and go forward. The magic part lit me up, and it, it reminds me of what you're saying of um, – I've read a good amount of Cheryl Strayed, and she used to say, or she says that her mom used to say, put yourself in the way of beauty, which I always loved as like, a, you know, there is a way to actually put yourself in a space where you experience more of that magic when you change your perspective. And also what I think y'all are pointing to is the power of being really present. So instead of, you know, sitting in the anxiety where you're going, what's going to happen, right? The uncertainty, what's going to happen? Or, you know, looking back and going, well, all these terrible things have happened before, so it's likely to happen again. It really is just sitting in the space of like, I'm right here right now, and I don't know, but I'm willing to stay right here. 
Liam, by the way, you mentioned that you tend to do this thing where you, you problematize and it becomes like this huge, terrible potential <laughs> thing. And um, what I would say is that's everybody does that. And so, like, for example, in the reality check uh, section, we talk about well, one thing that like innovators and folks who are used to dealing with uncertainty do is they actually like, break it down into like lots of options. So, so we tend to think of like, oh my gosh, everything's going to blow up. And instead what they do is say, well, actually, what are the different scenarios? And there's like five, six, seven scenarios, and then assign probabilities to those. <laughs> and then to say on the worst case scenario, what if that happened? What would really, like really walk that through to the end of like, well, okay, so if I did lose my job, maybe I'd move somewhere kind of like lower cost in the countryside. And maybe that actually could be kind of not such a bad life. And, and that actually sounds like maybe I'd choose that in the first place. And right. so I'm just saying there are all these ways we can kind of unpack it and, and see that, you know, it's not so bad. And that, and that way you can walk into it with greater courage and not disabled by this kind of unexamined fear of the worst case. Mm -hmm. Nathan, you pointed to Susanna being more equipped for uncertainty it's in, in probably a lot of areas and in areas that you're balancing. Susanna, what do you what do you make of that? Like, how is it possible that you're you're more equipped? I don't know. I think it has to be a personality thing for mm -hmm. sure, because I do. Why are you laughing? I want to raise my Maybe hand. Maybe like, no. <laughs> no. No, no, I want to raise my hand because sometimes it's harder to see what you are, right? No, no, no. Mm -hmm. I know it's true. I no. just can't say how or why <laughs> okay, I but, am wired that way. But I think mm -hmm. I can say why. Okay. Okay. So, like, listen, um, the whole idea behind this is that you can only get to possibility th by going through uncertainty. And I think yeah. Susanna has a couple things she does really well. Number one is I'm somebody who tends to like see the uncertainty and really focus on that and lose sight of the possibility. So Susanna is really good at that, remembering to see the possibility, those leaps of insight, connectivity, serendipity. And I think Susanna is really good at asking the question, you know, what's possible here? What's mm -hmm. possible? And, you know, one of my favorite tools in magic that keeps coming back to me because some really analytical skeptical people talked about it. So Christopher Hitchens was this modern philosopher, and he talked about this philosophy of as if, which was to live as if something were true. And he they talked about it in terms of like political change. So like, you know, Vaclav Havel, when his country is invaded by, you know, dictatorships and, you know, he can't live the way he thought he could live, can't protest the way he thought he could. Like, proposed living as if mm -hmm. he were a citizen of a free country. And so I would say, I think Suzanne is really good at saying what is possible and how do we live as if that could be true. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a, you know, to bring that down to a nitty gritty level, like we have had to make, we've made some really big changes. Like we moved countries and that was terrifying for me. All I could think about is all the things that could go wrong. And what Susanna was really good at is saying, but, but what, what is possible if we took that risk and, and to live as if those possibilities were already true. So I think she's really I, good at that. I'm realizing that it's not that I feel like crazy about the way I do it. It's just that I don't want people to feel like, oh, it's just not my personality, because I do think when you can um, 
get that reframe switch going to where you're like, oh no, uncertainty is good. Uncertainty is good because what can happen? You will start doing it more, more, you know, regularly. And Mm -hmm. I think one thing I have noticed is all of the changes we've made and there have been failures as we've done these changes that ultimately we really love. And there've been downsides and there have been hard things. We've done enough and seen how invigorating and thrilling it can be to live into a whole new realm, to literally just catapult yourself to a completely different normal, mm-hmm. that it's too, it's kind of intoxicating now. I'm, I'm constantly like, okay, this has got to shift. We've got to move this. We've got to change this. It's kind of annoying for people, to be honest, <laughs> but I do want people to feel like, no, this is something I can learn. This is mm-hmm. something I can do. And more it's to say, like, do I maybe not want to? Am I afraid? It's like that thing of, are, who are we? Are we afraid of of the great things we could do? So beyond yeah. who we are, but we can all change our lives so much. Now, that said, the privilege of having a spouse and having family that loves us and having steady work, that makes it so much easier. People who are feeling maxed out, who are working three jobs, single parenting, all these things that are real and happening for so many people, they have a much harder and narrower little place. But I swear that they too can reframe where I'm at and they need to believe that they deserve to have a better situation and to start at the most critical moment of whatever is the hardest. I remember one of the things when I first met Susanna that I loved dearly. What I loved when I first met her is she would always just say, you know, how do we turn over the leaf? How do we turn a new page? And that question was really powerful to me when I was facing discouragement or hard times. And so if mm-hmm. if everything we've said sounds like, oh, that's too highfalutin, that's too optimistic for me, I would say the question is, how do I turn the leaf tomorrow or right now? Mm-hmm. I was actually going to mention Martin Seligman because you all talked about learned optimism and I study positive psychology. So I loved seeing that and sharing that, you know, we can actually, again, learn this skill. Now, I want to call back to this idea of frontiers, right? So these places where we learn, grow and discover. And I'm curious from you all, what happens when we don't do this? Like what happens when we don't explore and we say like, I just cannot handle uncertainty and we have to ignore whatever it is that's come into our minds as an idea or an insight? So let me get the question right. So you're saying, what if you're too maxed out and you can't take on another frontier? Or are you saying for people that are like, they just like their life and they don't, they're not interested in frontiers? Because those would be two well, different answers. that's a good answers. question. I'm, I actually am curious. Do you believe there are people who just like their life and are not interested in any new frontiers? I kind of do. Mm. I mean. That's a hot take. <laughs> well, I guess I would just say frontiers to me are always going to feel maybe even not worth it or just like, why would I go out on an edge right now? And the thing that we love doing is we envision like a card deck or like a roll of things, like something tangible that people could pull out because what's so fun is to say, okay, pick a frontier. So like a culinary thing and you could realize, oh my gosh, I love these certain restaurants. I always go to this farm to table thing and I get this whatever. What if you just went for it and just started doing this month? We're not going to any of the same restaurants. We want to go to once a week we eat out. We're going to do four new ones and we're going to try to 
Well, do like anthropologists, like who's eating out there? Do we make new friends? What are we learning? What are the chefs like? What are the streets like where these restaurants are? What have we been missing out on? So that's, that's not that inspiring, but it's like in any frontier, you could imagine so many layers of, you could go to the library and check out books and make it yourself. You know, there's mm. just so many cool ways to, in, to bring more, um, possibility by going into an area that's unknown to you, that's unfamiliar. And so mm. it can be as little as that, you know, getting a new haircut that's totally different than what you've done. That's a frontier. Maybe you hate it. Who cares? If I could abstract up a level of analysis, what I would say is the human tendency and the advice we're often given is to create certainty in our lives. So to get the stable job, get the house, get the everything stable. And we forget that when we do that, we eliminate the possibility for any change, any renewal, any growth, because it's just the same thing over and over. So how do we reintroduce uncertainty into our lives so new things can happen? And what Susanna is giving you is a, a, an example of how you can step into the frontier on so many areas of your life, whether mm -hmm. it's career, intellectual, personal, spiritual, emotional, physical. And just I love your culinary example because you highlighted, you know, I'm honest. I'm a guy who likes to go to the same restaurants, but then we'll be like, same hey, here. let's make a rule. Let's not go to any of the same restaurants. And what if we like, like took a cooking class together? Or what if we just got some ingredients and made something together? And it sounds so simple, but when you do it and you change that thing, suddenly you have a different kind of conversation, a different kind of experience. And that that's really powerful. So even mm. the small pieces of, of uncertainty we introduce into our lives open up new possibilities. Well, and I like that you're saying you're, the reintroduction of uncertainty, right? And so we can get so comfortable that we don't actually introduce it at all, right? So it's actually an intentional thing. And it made me think like, this is going to be kind of a funny question, but if I'm a five-year-old and I can't read your book, like, what would you say to me about uncertainty? Oh my gosh. I think kids are so naturally, if they haven't had lots of trauma, they are just natural magnets. They want it. They're curious. I mean, curiosity is going to always be bringing tons of possibility because you're going to be willing to be like, oh, what does that do? And you might get shocked or <laughs> but little kids are they're not as nearly as afraid of us as we are. So they're just going to go up and meet new friends and say, hey, let's do this. So curiosity, the neurotransmitter is dopamine. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about curiosity as being the more friendly, benevolent version to passion. When we don't feel a passion, what could be the curious little glimpse shimmering like oh maybe maybe mm -hmm. that has something yeah the follow your curiosity instead of follow your passion and and i found when i've done that it does eventually lead to a passion it was the yeah. curiosity was the insight the ping that i needed to actually follow something all right mm -hmm. i'm gonna have you all answer these three questions the first is better humans are and nathan i'll have you do this one better humans are able to see that every good and new thing comes from being able to walk through uncertainty with courage. And better work is, Susanna, I'll have you do this one. Better work is work that brings fulfillment and joy to the worker. Mm. And then finally, a better world has, and I'll have you both answer. I think a better world is one where we think about how we create possibility for others and not just for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Because here's the thing about innovation. 
it all comes from being able to recombine ideas. So the more people that we empower to have ideas, to combine those ideas, we're just going to create an even better world. So how do we create possibility for others? Mm. How about you, Susanna? I think a better world has people working towards equality and like the basic survival and then well-being of everyone, of, mm-hmm. of, of every living thing. Because then that would change, like everything, climate change, all those things would just be like, oh my gosh, of course, we need to do this. Yeah. It wouldn't be a yeah. political thing. Yeah, yeah. Love it. That was Nathan and Susanna Furr, co-authors of The Upside of Uncertainty. And what a fun duo. One big thing before we go, this is a process. We are not generally driven to enjoy uncertainty. And so we end up focusing on really scary outcomes that likely won't even happen. But if you can catch yourself in negative thinking and give yourself just one option for something meaningful or positive that could come out of the situation, you are opening yourself up to a new world of possibility. If today's episode resonated with you, leave us a rating before you go. And even more helpful, write a quick review. It helps other listeners like you find this show and grow with our community. And you can always find me on LinkedIn writing about human potential. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Franz Bowen with help from Michelle O'Brien. Joe DiGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me. And I'll see you next week.